Okay, so like last uh, Sunday in our children's ministry, uh, 22 kids, <clears throat> Shannon was uh, sharing. Shannon, raise your hand. There. Hi. Say hi to them. Shannon was uh, sharing about uh, Zechariah and uh, Elizabeth and uh, the, the birth of their son, John, and asked the class, does anybody know who, who John was? And my grandson, four years old, Landon, said, yeah, it was, it was this guy here, John Panette. So if you could put that picture up there, that would be cool. So she said, no, I don't, I, don't, I don't think it was him. So I had to, when I heard the story, you know, I had to, how many of you have heard of John Panette? You, you've seen him, right? All right, so a few of you. So I had to Google him because I didn't know who he was. Now I understand why my grandson would say to me from time to time, get off the line. <laughs> Those of you who know what I'm talking about, you understand that. Uh, he's a funny guy. Uh, so is Landon. Landon's a funny guy. Landon, uh, s- something happened this week, right? Uh, I had to drop something off to my wife at school, and uh, she wasn't answering her phone. Uh, I would call her on the phone. She'd come down and open the door for me on the side door, you know, because her class is like right on the side. So, so I went around the side of the classroom, and I could, I could look through the window, and that's her class. So I tapped on the window, and uh, one of her students says, uh, Hey, Miss Pavone, there's an old man standing at the door, uh, standing at the window. And she says, she says to the kid, she says, that's not an old man, that's my husband. And she says the funniest thing was really the look on his face. She, at this point, will not give me the name of that kid. I want to know who he is. <laughs> you see... You know, everything is relative. To, 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 to a 14-year-old, I'm an old man. To my wife, you know, I'm, a, I'm Viral Vinny, you know. So, uh, but, but talk about Landon, right? If you ask Landon, and I want you to try this sometime later today, ask Landon how old is his grandmother. He will tell you she's 39. Ask him how old his grandpa is. He's 64. <laughs> the kid is funny, I'm telling you. But... Uh, a little later on in the lesson, Shannon was, you know, driving the point about Jesus and, 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 and getting the kids to, to see, you know, how great Jesus is. And so she said, I, I think it said something like this, what is it that man cannot live without? And, and this time, Cade, his brother, raised his hand and he said, women. <laughs> women. So, like, what are you Jansons teaching them over there at that house? <laughs> you know? John Panetta and women, I don't know, I don't get it. Kind of reminds me of a situation uh, where a Sunday school teacher was going to pose this question to her students, and, and she says, come on, kids, I want you to think about this. What, what is gray, has a, has a fluffy tail, has fur, has little feet, and climbs up trees? And to her surprise, the class was absolutely silent. No one volunteered an answer. So she said, all right, she said, think about this, kid. In, in your mind, think about this, right? What has, what's gray, has a furry tail, has, has little feet, climbs up trees, and eats nuts. And again, no one said anything. So she said, I, I, better, I better slow this down and just be a little bit more careful. So she says, once again, kids, she says, could somebody tell me what the answer is to this question? What is gray, has a furry tail, uh, has, has little feet, climbs up trees, eats nuts. In fact, it eats acorns. And this one little kid finally raised his hand and said, see, it, it sounds like a squirrel, but I think I'm supposed to say Jesus. 
And you know, there's a lot of truth in that because, because a lot of times life seems to be about other stuff, but it really is all about Jesus. Life, life really is all about the one who made all things and he made the squirrels. And, and more importantly, he made you and I. And, and we do not find our purpose in life until we find that life in Christ. Augustine said something that was really interesting. He said, there is, in the soul of every man, there is a God-shaped vacuum that only, that only Christ can fill. There's a God-shaped vacuum in every man that only Jesus Christ can fill. And when he, when he fills that, that void, imagine that. If, if there's a God-shaped vacuum, that means that, that, that it's bigger than, than the world itself. Nothing in this world can satisfy that God-shaped vacuum. But when he begins to fill himself with, with himself in us, rather, he fills himself in us, we begin the process of being made whole, of, of being made well, of, of being... Shalom in, in the Hebrew is, is to be made well in every single way. It's to be prosperous. It's to, be, it's to prosper in your soul. He makes beautiful things out of the dust, doesn't he? He makes beautiful things out of us. And he makes a life really wonderful when we trust in him. Last week, we opened up this series, It's a Wonderful Life, looking at an ancient prophecy from the prophet Isaiah concerning the Messiah, the child born and the son given. The child born speaks of his humanity, the child born of a woman, made of a woman. Jesus is, is fully man, but he's also the son that was given. He is, he is absolutely very God of very God. And it's in these two distinct divine and human natures that we have the greatest event in human history. The Bible reveals the incarnation of the Messiah. It is awe-inspiring. It's stirring when we, when we think about God, the creator, cared so much that he came himself in the form of a, of a human being. You know, I said this last week, and I, I still, my mind is still kind of blown by it, but, but the, the child that sat in the lap of Mary never ceased to be God. He still was the one who upheld the universe with the word of his power, never ceasing to be God, yet he became something in time, in the fullness of time that he was not before, and he will always be now the God-man. Isaiah's verse echoes, really, the, the, the verse in, in Genesis 1.26, where when God said, let us make man in our image, and so God made himself men and, and women, men in his own image and in his own likeness. And it was in order to save us. It was in order to redeem us, to buy us back from our fallen state. Son of God assumed the genuine human nature. I love what Sam Storm said about this. Listen to this. He says, if God had been formed in Mary's womb without being fully human in nature, Mary could have never survived the experience. If God the Son had not clothed himself in flesh, his glory would have instantly turned Pharisees and fishermen alike into ash. But instead, 
Prostitutes approached him. Thieves repented. Sinners ate with him. God even played the bartender at a wedding reception. The Son of God became one of us, became one with us in order that he might fulfill the law of God perfectly, that he might fulfill the covenant of works in a vicarious way, be the substitute for our lives and die and then in the process destroy sin, Satan, and the power of death. God has gifted us with undeserved and unearned and unmerited grace and favor and love. And, and I said this last week, that Jesus really is the gift that keeps on giving. And if I could borrow another kind of common phrase, when God cared enough, he sent the very best. He sent his son that he might redeem us and buy us back from this inevitable slavery and an inevitable eternal destruction. There is only one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. God cared enough to send the very best. And, and his name, his name, Isaiah said, shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting. But, but that's not the name by which we call him. And so there's a little bit of that. Well, it's the title. It's the description of him. And I understand a little bit about those names and, and having, ha- having received his name before he was even born. And, you know, I, my, my name is Vincent. My grandfather's name was Vincent. My father's name was Anthony. His grandfather's name was Anthony. And that's the way it's been for generations and generations. My son's name is, is Anthony. Actually, before I could even remember, my father kind of brainwashed me, kind of, you know, said, I'll make you an offer you can't refuse. Your firstborn son will be named Anthony. And, and, and I never really, you know, thought about anything other than that, you know. And, and when I first, you know, decided to, to marry Kathy, didn't I tell you? Firstborn had to be an Anthony, you know. And, and, and my dad was so happy when, when we named him Anthony. So... When it came for Anthony and Shannon to have their first child, right, we, you know, we didn't want to put too much pressure. We, we, we wanted to break the, you know, the, the, the kind of the Italian tra- tradition, you know, and, and just kind of leave it with them, you know, and, and, and kind of imply that there will be many blessings if you name him Vincent, you know, uh, Many, many, many blessings, you know, but, but now we didn't want to put, you know, pressure on them. So <clears throat> like we said, you know, whatever it is. So we kind of heard like through the grapevine, they, they were thinking of Vincent or they were thinking of Seth or there was a couple of other names that were thrown in there. But on, on the day, you know, on the day, on the day that, that, that Anthony and Shannon had their first child, you know, we, we were waiting in the, in the lobby, Kelly and, and my wife and I, we were waiting and Anthony comes down, you know. With a big smile on his face, the birth of his first child, you know, big smile on his, my my wife's first question, you know, is you know, actually actually he 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 said first he says it's a boy, and my wife's first question is is Shannon okay? And he said yeah, Shannon's great, she's doing she's doing well. My first question was what's his name? <laughs> and he says. He says, now, now, now I was expecting him to say, well, we haven't decided yet or we'll, we'll, we'll let you know in, you know, maybe a day or so. And, you know, he said, he said, Noah. And in my mind, I'm thinking, there's nobody in my family named Noah. I don't know a Noah. 
I, the first thing I said I popped out of my mouth, right? This is true. I said, Noah. I said, Noah built a boat. You know, it's probably the stupidest thing I've ever said in my life, you know. Uh, <laughs> but I tell you what, I, I could not be more proud of being a, a, a father and a grandfather of two great guys. Uh, Noah, love you, buddy. Noah Vincent is his name. And uh, when he's in trouble with his mother and father, they call him Noah Vincent, you know. But, but for me, he's always Noah Vincent, so that's cool. Isaiah said his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor of the Mighty God. But, but when it came time to actually naming him, the angel said his name shall be called Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. That is the meaning of his name. The titles and the description are, are characteristic of what he will do and uh, of his nature and of his character. But I think Jesus probably summed up really not so much his name and his mission, but but his mission. And he said said it like this. He says, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. If you've seen me, Jesus said, then then you've also, you know what God is like because you know what I am like. And here's the amazing thing is that the, the world could not know God apart from God being clothed in flesh. Or else, if God was not clothed, clothed in flesh, we, 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 we would only know God, as, as Luther said, L- Luther referred to what the mystics called God as an all-consuming fire. We would only know God as the God of judgment, but instead we've come to know God as a loving Father, one who loves infinitely and cares for us, one who is clothed in our humanity. So I want to look at this Second title uh, that we'll consider this morning, Wonderful Counselor. Now, I just got to explain this. Some of the translations, some of the older translations, like the King James or the New King James, has Wonderful, comma, Counselor, comma, the Mighty God. So it breaks it up into, into like an additional title. And, and you know, I, I've looked at the Hebrew, and, and there's nothing to, to disqualify it from either being either interpretation. So I, I just want to say Jesus is both wonderful and he is a wonderful counselor. So let's look at that scripture one more time this morning. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. I was just reading just the other day that a recent discovery in the universe that they have discovered a star so, so huge, so immense, so dense. This star is, is, is not a hundred times brighter than our sun, not a thousand times bright, not even 10 times brighter. If you could imagine how bright can that be, but over a million times brighter than that of the sun. I mean, how do they even calculate that? But, but they've given it a number, I want to suggest that they could give it a name and they can call it the Jesus star because those that sat in darkness have seen a great light for unto us a child is born, his humanity. To us a son is given his divine nature when God said and cared enough to give the very best. And the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, his kingdom and its peace will never end and he will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of David for all eternity. 
I mean, it's such a blessing just to read that, just to, just to glean from the, the names and the titles of, of what he is to us. He is wonderful counselor. But what, what, why do we need a wonderful counselor? Why does the world need a wonderful counselor? That, that, that is such an easy question to answer. Just look at the condition of the world that it's in right now. Look at the nations of the earth teetering on the brink of financial collapse, war, confusion, perplexity, moral decay. You know, wh- why do we need a wisdom that is from above? It's, it's obvious. And, and why do we need a, a wise counselor in our personal matters? Because, because we're living in a dangerous world. We're living in a world where there's a deceiver who would love to derail us or love to destroy us and, and, to, and to ruin our eternal destiny if he could. We, we, we need a wisdom that is, that is outside of this world, that is a wisdom that is from above. There is a distinction between the wisdom of this world, the wisdom of men and the wisdom of God, the wisdom that is from above. Remember that Satan promised Adam and Eve He promised them that they would be as wise as God, knowing good and evil. But instead of becoming wise, they became foolish and darkened in their understanding. He promised them freedom as long as they would declare their independence of God. But instead of becoming free, they became enslaved to the power of sin and Satan and darkness. And the darkness literally flooded their souls so that Paul says that we became darkness. James identifies that there's more than one kind of wisdom, that there's a wisdom that is earthly or or sensual or devilish, that is filled with selfish ambition and envy, but that there is also a wisdom that is from above, that is pure and peace-loving and full of goodness and mercy. Two contrasting wisdoms. Paul, likewise, in, 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 in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, contrasted, Two kinds of wisdom, the wisdom of God and the wisdom of this world, the wisdom of men. And he says, he says if God were foolish, I love it. He says, if God were foolish, then, then in comparison, then the foolishness of God would be wiser than the wisdom of men. And if God were weak, then the weakness of God would be stronger than the strength of men. Wisdom and strength are indelibly connected together. Because what what Paul then went on to say is that the cross is to those that are perishing foolishness, but to us who are being saved, it is both the wisdom of God and the power of God. Wisdom and power. I want you to consider a moral dilemma for a moment and, and, and just think about what you would do in this scenario, okay? You're driving along in your two passenger car. God bless you with a nice Mercedes two seater. That would really be a wonderful Christmas present, right? So you're driving along in your, in your two-seater Mercedes, antique, you know, whatever, and uh, it's a rain-swept night. It's a storm, and there's lightning, and it's a terrible night, and you feel sorry for anybody who's stuck outside, and you pass a bus stop, and, and you're moved with compassion, but you can only give a, a ride to one person, and there are three people there, right? The first is an elderly lady who looks a little sickly and needs like she, she needs to see a doctor right away. The other is your best friend who once saved your life. And, and the other is, is the girl of your dreams. Or if you're a girl, he's the guy of your dreams, the one that you've been dreaming of, right? And you can only, only offer a ride to one. Who would you offer the ride to? This was a moral, ethical dilemma that was once asked in an employment 
questionnaire. What would you do? If you, if you, you, you took the old lady because she needed medical assistance right away, unless you got her to a hospital right away, she might die. And what about your best friend? He, he saved your life once. This is a perfect opportunity to just go ahead and, and, and bless him. But what about the woman of your dreams? The woman of your dreams who you probably will never see again your whole life, no matter how long you search for her, and you just know that. So what would you do? Well, the guy who answered this, out of 200 applicants and who got the job, said this, I would give the car keys to my best friend, let him take the elderly lady to the hospital, and I'd stay behind, wait for the bus with the woman of my dreams. Now, that sounds clever, right? But as clever as that sounds, let me tell you something. When you're in life and death situations and you're in, you're, you're in these moral dilemmas that you sometimes find yourself in, it's not a multiple choice answer. There are impacts upon our lives that, that are, have eternal consequences unless we have the mind of God, unless we have the wisdom that comes from above. That's one of the reasons why we need wisdom. Solomon, Solomon, who was known as the wisest man who had ever lived until that, 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 that time, said, with all of your getting, get wisdom, because wisdom is the principal thing. But I want to show you something better than the acquiring of wisdom. If you will acquire Jesus, if you will get Jesus into your life, the Bible says that Jesus is made unto us wisdom. He is made unto us righteousness. He is made unto us sanctification and redemption and salvation. All the things that we ever have need of, Jesus can be to us much better than a multiple choice or just acquiring wisdom for wisdom's sake. Jesus said, behold, there is one standing in your midst that's greater than Solomon. Jesus is wisdom personified. He, he is the, the very wisdom of God. Even his enemies were unable to refute his wisdom. They came back and they said, never, never has any man ever spoken like this before. You know, we can, we can look at a couple of examples and, you know, a couple come to mind in which they tried to trap Jesus. They, they set out traps for him. The woman that was caught in adultery, it was a setup. You see, Jesus had gone on record. He, he said two things. He said, n- number one, he, he, had, he had not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill the law. Number one. Number two, he said that he had not come to destroy men's lives, but to seek and to save the lost. So they thought, well, now we really got it because the law of Moses requires that this woman should be stoned. Now, now, Jesus, what do you say? And he began to write with his finger upon the ground. Kind of reminds us that, that Moses received the commandments on tablets of stone written with the finger of God. And Jesus wrote on the ground, didn't say anything. And when he did st- stand up, he said, let the, first, let the one who's without sin be the first one to cast a stone. And from the oldest to the youngest, they dropped their stones and walked away. And Jesus said, woman, is there anyone to accuse you? She said, no, Lord. He said, neither will I condemn you. Go and sin no more. You see, without two eyewitnesses, the law could not be carried out. And within a matter of weeks, Jesus would die for her sins as well as the sins of the world, and so honor the law of God, and so also keep his promise that he came to seek and save the lost. There was the issue with, the, with paying taxes, whether he should pay taxes or not, and Jesus said, why, why do you tempt me? Bring me a coin, 
And they said, whose inscription is that? And he said, he, they said, Caesar's. He says, well, then give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. And they were blown away. Every time they tried to trap him, every time they tried to ensnare him, they could not refute his wisdom because he spoke with the wisdom of God. But see, what I want to tell you this, the reason why this message is so important this morning, the reason why we really need to pay attention is because we're not talking about a historical figure the way we would talk about Abraham Lincoln or, or somebody else in, in history who we could even be inspired from their life. No, we're, we're talking about somebody who can speak wisdom into our lives because Jesus is not only the gift of God for us and the gift of God to us, but he's the gift of God in us. The wisdom of God is a whisper away. can't tell you how many times I felt like I was stumped and I didn't know which way to go and I would just pray a prayer like, help, help, Jesus, just help. And, 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 and in that still small voice, the whisper of God would give direction, would give guidance, would, would say, it's gonna be all right. I want you to imagine yourself for a minute, all right? I want you to imagine that you're on trial for your life. The capital punishment for your crime is death, execution. You, you, it's not really a question of, of if you will be executed. It's a question of when you will be executed because your only crime is that you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Friends and family have distanced themselves from you out of fear and intimidation. You feel absolutely alone during this time. You feel as though the, the enemy is in the corner of, of your cell laughing at you and, and, and demon oppression can be experienced. You need something. You need a strength. You, you need a wisdom that will infuse you with a strength. Now, that scenario that I just painted for you was the actual last days of the Apostle Paul. I want you to hear what he said as he faced this scenario. 2 Timothy chapter 4. He said, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. He says, I'm getting ready to go on a trip. This is the same guy who said that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, which is far better, having a desire to depart and be with Christ. He's getting ready to leave. Bon voyage. He says, I fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. Now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who long for his appearing. You know, one of the great things that Christ gives to us, one of the great things that faith enables us to do, it's to die well. It's to face death victoriously and invincibly and with great joy. Notice this in verse 16. He says, at my first defense, no one came to support me, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. He's saying, I'm not bitter. I'm not angry about that. I understand that. But verse 17 says, but, but the Lord stood by my side and gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and that all the Gentiles might hear it. 
we have a Savior who will stand with us, stand beside us in the greatest crises of our life. He is as near to us as a whisper. And I love that. Jesus stood by me. We have a Savior who is, who is faithful. When, when friends and family distance themselves from us, we have a Savior who is, who, is, who is a friend who stays closer than a brother. We have one who said, I'll never leave you, nor will I ever forsake you. I want you to not only believe it, I want you to be encouraged by that this morning, especially those of you who right now feel like you're facing a crisis. Take him and give him no heed to what he may say. Bark the centurion to several soldiers as he pointed to the aged Polycarp, bishop of Smyrna. His words were directed to the soldiers not because they were afraid or he was afraid that the good old pastor would try to somehow wiggle his way out of this arrest, but rather he was warning them not to pay heed to the things of Christ that he would undoubtedly speak to them as he was under arrest. Revelation chapter 2 foretold of the, the persecution of the leadership, the imprisonment and the execution of the leadership of this little church in Smyrna, a faithful church. He was arrested and he was brought before the Roman amphitheater and placed before a depraved crowd that cried out for his blood. The presiding officer gave Polycarp the opportunity to, to regain his freedom, to be unharmed, to go free if he would only curse this Jesus who he spoke about. The old man Listen to the crowd as the crowd chanted, curse him, curse him, curse him, curse him. And he raised his voice as loud as his frame could. He said this, he says, 80 and six years have I served him and he has done me nothing but good. How can I curse my Lord and my Savior? And then the man in charge gave the order to tie him to the pole for the burning at the stake. But he said, no, don't tie me to the stake. The same Jesus that has saved me will give me the strength to stand here in the fire. And so they, they, they set him on fire without having tied him to the pole. The crowd began to cheer and, and, to, and, and to celebrate, but others, many, many more others in hushed silence just watched something that was beyond this world. They, they, they saw the wisdom of God and the strength of God as this old man, demonstrated something that they had never seen before. Now listen, I, I know this, that, that, that non-Christians can die bravely, but none can die with such triumph of spirit and conquering joy as that old man died that day. Jesus is as close to us as a whisper. He is closer to us than, 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 than a brother. And I just want you to know that there, there's nothing that you can hide from him. He, it's not that he doesn't already know it, but there's, there's nothing that you can't just share with him and, and tell him tell him things that you wouldn't want any other human being to know. And he is not going to judge or condemn you, but he's going to give you the counsel and he's going to give you the strength to be able to have the grace to make changes in your life. What I want you to know this morning is if you're not a Christian today, you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, this is a great time to become one. 
When we talk about the, the perplexity of this person, fully God, fully man, it, it's beyond our comprehension. There is a paradox that, that's inexplicable because his life was on the one hand absolutely extraordinary, but on the other hand, it was absolutely ordinary except without sin. I mean, he was a man. He was hungry, and yet he fed thousands. He was thirsty, and yet he turned water into wine. He was worshipped by angels, and yet he was rejected by, by his own people. He stood before Pontius Pilate, and yet he sits at the right hand of majesty on high. He is, he, he, he is absolutely amazing. He is wonderful, and he's wonderful in his counselor. He is absolutely God, but he's also absolutely the last Adam, the second man. Theologians call this the hypostatic union, God and man. Not fused together, but God and man in two divine two or two separate natures. What I want you to know this morning, what I want you to take away is simply this, that as a man, Jesus made himself needy, but as God, he supplies all of man's needs. As man, he made himself vulnerable. He made himself needy, but as God, he is able also to supply all of our needs by his riches and glory. And when we see him, veiled in, in flesh, when we see him in his glorified body with the scars on his hands and feet and his back, the scars that made scars on his brow, it will forever be a testimony to, to his love, a love that was so great that caused him to leave his throne room in heaven to, to enter into a filthy stable in Bethlehem to a road called Golgotha, because of his love for us. Some of you uh, probably know the actor uh, Kevin Bacon. I suppose that when he comes home at night, he says, hi, honey, I brought home the bacon. No, it's just, just kind of a bad joke. I just threw that in. Uh, he, he, he made a movie some years ago called Footloose. Remember seeing Footloose? In fact, I, I just recently found out that they're doing a remake of the movie Footloose, so it's that long ago. But, but uh, his six-year-old son, the first time he saw the film Footloose, he, he had a couple of questions for his dad. And so he said, he said to his dad, he said, Dad, Dad, that, that thing that you did in the rafters, the way you, the way you spun around on the rafters, he said, how, how, did, how did you do that? And, and Kevin said, actually, I, I, I really didn't do that. It was a, it was a stuntman who did it. And kind of perplexed, he said, what's a stuntman? He said, well, a, a stuntman kind of looks like me and he dressed like me and he was able to do things that I can't do. And so he walked out of the room, came back a few minutes later, a little confused, said, hey, Dad, that, that thing that you did on, on the parallel bars, when, when you flipped around and you landed on your feet, how did you do that? He says, well, he says, I didn't do that. I didn't do that. There was a... It was a gymnast double who, who did that for me. And, and, and with real seriousness, he, he asked, Dad, what, what did you do? And he says, I, I just got the glory. Jesus clothed himself in our humanity. He did for us what we could never do for ourselves. 
He fulfilled the law of God perfectly. He went to the cross and died as our substitute. He did what we could never do so that now we could be clothed with his righteousness. He, he, he took on himself his flesh and blood, our flesh and blood, so that we might take on his glory for eternity. See, what I want you to know this morning is that this one who meets our needs, when, when, when we are in need of wisdom, he will supply the wisdom that we need. When we are in need of whatever it is, Paul says, he will supply those needs by his riches and glory. If you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Christ, I'm so glad that you're here. This is a great opportunity because I want you to know this, that, that he can make your life wonderful, but he could also give you an eternity that is beyond my ability to describe. He makes beautiful things out of us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning for the time that we've spent together sharing the word of God, talking about Jesus. It's our ambition, Lord God, to, to see him, to know him, to love him, to serve him. Because we, we say it really is all about him. And I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're, ministry is to take the things of Christ and to reveal them unto us. Would you do that this morning? Would you, would you tug on the hearts of some folks this morning who, who maybe feel like, you know what, maybe there's something missing in my life right now. May I suggest to you that, that something that you feel that is missing in your life may be what, what Augustine said was that, that vacuum that only Christ can fill would, would, would you allow Christ to fill that vacuum with himself today? And for those of you who are Christ followers, know that he has destined an eternity for you that is full of glory, that your destiny is to be glorified together with Christ as an heir of God and a joint heir with Jesus. This is amazing. This is, this is wonderful. This, this, this is why we can have a wonderful Christmas no matter what's going on outwardly in our lives or in this world. Let's all stand together as we worship him today.